What a great song. What a great thought. <laughs> we have uh, one more session with Dr. Richard Vargas. Uh, some of you folks haven't been with us for the last three sessions. You're in for a treat. Uh, he will take us into the Word of God and feed us well, and we're excited about that. Uh, we also remind you that these recordings will be on our website. If you want to catch up on the other ones later in the week, we will have them available for you. Uh, but we're very glad to have him right now. He's the executive director of IFCA International. And you could also hit that on the website and find out more about this, uh, the fellowship as well. It's a, it's a blessing to me, and I know that he's been a blessing to you. And so we're very glad to have you. Dr. Vargas, please come up and share. I'm going to ask you to uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> Whenever I hear that song, How Firm a Foundation, it makes me think of old Dr. J. Vernon McGee and the Bible bus. Uh, Dr. McGee was a member of IFCA International and... Uh, you know, we like to point things out like that. So I've seen some Ryrie study Bibles around here. Charles Ryrie was a member of IFCA International. Uh, I know there's some Dallas folks around here. And John Walvoord was a member of IFCA International. I know we have uh, at least two Biola graduates here. And Louis Talbot was a graduate or was a member of IFCA International. So were several of the buildings that are named after men uh, from IFCA on the Biola campus, a school that I've attended. So there's a rich history, but there's also a rich future going forward um, of godly men that are serving God all over the world. So thankful for that. And it's all, always a great blessing to me to get to visit a place like this church and know that right here in this town, there is a great church that teaches the Word of God. Um, every once in a while, someone will say, hey, we've got a family moving to wherever, and they said, do you know of a church? Do you know of a church? I actually got a letter one day from a, um, an inmate in a prison. <laughs> he said, I wanna, uh, there, there are a lot of cults teaching here in this prison. And even the chaplains are heretical many times. And he said, I, I want to know if I can be ordained into the gospel ministry to preach the gospel while I'm here in, in prison. And so I said, well, we don't ordain because that's a ministry of the local church. But we happen to have a local church there in the community where that prison happened to be. And so I said, here's the pastor's name. Here's the church. Write to him. Maybe, maybe you can work something out. It's a wonderful thing to be able to point people to God's people in a local place. And I'm glad that Hillsdale has such a wonderful church here. Right now, in this last session that we have together, we're going to be talking about uh, the responsibilities of the man of God. In particular, I'm going to focus in on the teaching of the Word. I shared with you earlier about kind of what these meant in relation to uh, food um, as we talk about feeding the flock. And every time I think of the feeding of the flock, I think of, we had a, in my church in California, we had a Spanish ministry, a Spanish pastor that uh, taught the Word in Spanish. And one of our members in the English ministry was sitting with him um, to learn Spanish. He was trying to kind of help his Spanish classes. He, he was homeschooled and his mom had taught him Spanish, but he, he wanted to hear it from a native Spanish speaker. And uh, our Spanish pastor was from Mexico and he spoke obviously fluish, fluent Spanish. And so one day they were conversing after church and um, Pastor Manuel was talking to Peter and, and, and he said to Peter, how do you say, how do you say, uh, a bunch of, a bunch of cheeps, bunch of cheeps. And Peter, not knowing this strong accent, what he was saying, he said, a bunch of chips, a bunch of chips, like a bag of chips. No, 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 cheeps, cheeps. And he said, chips, a bag of chips. I don't know, a, a box of chips, a, a bowl of chips. And he said, Sheeps, you know, bah! He said, oh, sheep, a bunch of sheep, a flock of sheep, a flock. So every time we see the word flock, 
I think you guys are a bag of chips. <laughs> so, uh, I can't get these things out of my head. I'm sorry. They just stick there. Well, we're going to be talking about the responsibilities of the man of God, and this could be interchangeable. We could talk about a woman of God who teaches the Word to women and to children. Uh, I, I do. I'm convinced that the Word of God is very clear on the roles of men and women in teaching the Bible. Um, but so, so there's no confusion, and this doesn't get out somewhere, and some, somebody uses it to um, reinforce the pastorette mentality of a, a lady in the pulpit preaching, which I don't think is biblical. I'm just going to leave it with the responsibilities of the man of God, but I want you to know that there are opportunities for all of us as Christians to teach the Word of God. And these responsibilities stretch the gamut from males to females, depending on what audience you have when you're teaching the Word. We have a responsibility. I want to start off by just pointing to the fact that we can mess things up sometimes. And, and I want us to avoid that. Uh, I found a website, and it's been changed. It's a different website. But it, I had this thought in my head, because I've seen it, and you've probably seen it too, where somebody messes up so badly. And you think, how did you mess up that? And there was act, there's actually a website called You Had One Job. You Had One Job. And they have incredibly funny pictures in there of you had one job and how do you mess up misspell how do you misspell stop i mean the person that did that has to do that that's their career painting the word stop it's got four letters and they still messed it up you had one job and then this it, it had a funny caption it said uh it said ladies game match set because it's like you can't leave the toilet seat up it, it just doesn't work that way so you had one job. I don't even know how you would put a toilet seat on like that. It's astounding to me the way that people mess, mess up. Two screws. That's all it takes. Here's another one. Look at that one. Stop Smoking Smoking Center. It's where they happen to stalk all the cigarettes in the Stop Smoking Center. And then notice the handrail. Instead of it going down with the steps, it actually goes up. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, maybe those are people from California. I, I don't know. I don't know. So I've seen other pictures, photos of a calculator that was sold where the numbers on the keypad were all mixed up. So they're not one, two, three. They're, they're all a package that clearly had some kind of a steak in it labeled chicken scallopini. Half of a cabbage that's labeled watermelon. Crayons that were all different colors, but every single one was labeled yellow. Now, these aren't complicated jobs. And the, the person that did them failed miserably. And I bring that up because in our passage that we're going to look at in this time, in Second Timothy, we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, you have one job. Don't mess it up. One job as a preacher of God's Word, and he needs to get it right. His pastoral responsibility in teaching the Bible, it's not varied, it's not confusing, it is simple, it is straightforward. I'm not a complicated man. I don't have to be a complicated man to be a preacher of the Word. It's real simple. I get up, I open this book, I read this book, I explain this book, I tell you to obey this book, and then I get down. It's not hard. It's one job. And we need to make sure that whenever God gives us the opportunity to open up this book and to teach it to somebody else, we don't mess it up. It's important. Simple, straightforward. Timothy might be tempted to be ashamed. He needed to be courageous. He might be tempted to abandon his responsibilities as a pastor, but he couldn't do it. And there are a lot of pastors and church leaders in the church today that should not be there. I read the sad story this morning of another big church pastor, this time in Washington, where my brother lives, discredited, excuse me, in Oregon, discredited, and the church didn't pull him out of the pulpit. Instead, what they chose to do was to rename his position from senior pastor to some ridiculous title that I've never even heard of before. It was like Hope Generator. What is that? Hope Generator. And allowed him to continue to preach the gospel after six months of being there. He had had multiple inappropriate relationships with women in his church. He was already divorced. 
And his father, who was the previous pastor, had built up this megachurch, put him as the pastor. 33 years old, he's already been divorced and had multiple uh, inappropriate relationships with women. And they still tried to keep him in that pulpit. Some of the elders, to their credit, said, if you're not going to handle this the way you should, we're out of here. That ha- that's not new. That happens all the time, all over the place. They've got one job. And these people are not only unqualified with the biblical understanding that they need, but some are disqualified. And they have no business leading anyone because of their own spiritual immaturity and their failing. They are disqualified as well as unqualified. And so Paul wants to make sure that Timothy understands the importance of his ministry. So he directs him to understand and practice the responsibilities of the man of God. Look at verses 13 and 14. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14. Let me read them. The Word of God says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. I want to talk to you on this subject because it relates to feeding the flock. We not only need to be concerned about the spiritual food that we consume, we need to be concerned about the people who prepare our spiritual meals. Um, That includes our pastors and our elders and every other type of Bible teacher. I mean, your pastor may be doing a great job, But you may be called to a different place where a different church is the only church available. And you walk in there and you think, what is this? I don't want you to be misled or ignorant of these things. We have to understand them. So that we can be faithful to what God requires of all of us. So we can make sure not only that when we have an opportunity to teach the Bible, and it doesn't have to be in a pulpit, it could be across the table in a cup of coffee. That when we do it, and that we also make sure that our leaders, that we hold them to Christ's standard for His church. This is not your church. This is not your pastor's church. This church does not belong to the the town. It doesn't belong to the IFCA. This church belongs to Jesus. And that means that we need to line up with what He calls us to be and to do. So let's get started. Here's the first. There's only two. It's, it's pretty straightforward. It's, we need to follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. The responsibility of the man of God is follow the pattern. Now, to understand the differences that we might see in our translations, and more importantly, to understand what Paul is saying, I need to begin by explaining to you that word for pattern, if you have the English Standard Version, that's the word that's there, pattern. If you have the King James, it uses the word form. And if you use the New American Standard, it has the word standard. This Greek word that's used there refers to a, a pattern that's to be followed, like a dress pattern or an outline that's to be traced or a sketch that a painter might use as a guide. Now, I say that because in the way that the King James uses it, we might think that it's a mold, as a form, or a pattern. Uh, It also kind of fits well with the idea in the New American Standard, a standard or a guide by which all else is measured. And I say that because if you start with this verb translated hold fast in the King James, or retain the standard, or hold on to, as it says in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, then you might think that Peter, or excuse me, that Paul is saying to grip it, to not let go of the pattern or not let go of the form. But if you're doing a dress, gripping or holding on to the pattern doesn't make sense. What do you do with a pattern? What do you do with something you're to trace? You follow it. What do you do with a standard? You follow it. You use it as a measure to compare. You don't grip it. And that's exactly what the translations are all saying. 
But sometimes the way we use words don't come across in a translation. I fear that we can think that without understanding that, that we can say hold on or hold fast or retain means to grab it. The main idea of what Paul is saying to Timothy is that he can't divert in direction. He can't deviate. He can't become creative here in the pattern that's been laid out. He has to follow the pattern as a model. In other words, when it comes to teaching or preaching the Word of God, we Bible teachers, whether it's in the pulpit or in a classroom or in a coffee shop or a kitchen table, we all have one job. And we need to make sure we don't mess it up. This would fit with a recipe as well. I have four daughters. At the moment I say, I'd love some chocolate chip cookies, there are some chocolate chip cookies being made. But I'll be honest with you, not everybody makes a chocolate chip cookie the right way. Some get creative. And I I had to eat them because I asked for them, but sometimes I just don't want to eat the cookie because baking powder, baking soda, salt and flour, all are white powders. They are not the same thing. And I love chocolate chip cookies, but I like good chocolate chip cookies. I don't like salty chocolate chip cookies. Or these big fat cakey looking chocolate chip cookies. Or all kinds of other problems. See, you follow the pattern. And some of my kids, they like thinking that they're at one of those chef TV shows. They like thinking of the Great British Bake Off. And like, I'm going to throw a sprinkle of this and a little bit of that. And I'm like, don't do that. Don't be creative with my cookies. Make a batch for yourself and put that stuff in there. But don't put stuff that doesn't belong in a good chocolate chip cookie in my chocolate chip cookie. And God is saying this to those that would teach His Word. i got a pattern. It is a perfect pattern. Retain that perfect pattern. Don't get creative here. And as you look at Paul's instructions to Timothy, there are four parts in this in verse 13. We accomplish this as we follow this first step of follow the pattern. Now, I want you to notice what he says here. First of all, notice that the pattern is complete. The pattern is complete. It's already set up. A form has been made. As I said earlier, it's not a place for creativity. A mold is not made for creativity. I had one of my elders at our church in California that worked, worked in concrete, and they made the curbs on streets and they had all these forms and they they were so that they would produce consistency in the curbs they wanted the curbs to all look the same you don't want creativity in a curb they don't want well i figured i'd make a little higher curb this time no they all have a standard they're all set the pattern is already set up the form's been made it's made so that it produces out of that mold exactly the same as the mold is meant to produce. Paul tells Timothy that in their time together, through their many years of ministry, that he's given him the form of what he's to do in ministry along with the substance of his teaching and that these should not be deviated from in practice. Look at what he says. Verse 13, follow the pattern. Now, there is a certain place for personality and creativity and innovation in some arenas. I like creativity. Every church I go to is different. God has given us latitude in many things. God has not said, thou shalt have maroon carpets. You can have all kinds of different carpets. You can have different types of seating. Different arrangements of seating, different kind of lighting, different kind of sound system, different kind of music. God has given us much latitude in many things. But there is a standard of God's Word that needs to be modeled by which the church and Christian ministry is committed and should never depart from because God has handed it down to us Himself. The pattern is complete. That's the reason why God, the Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write these words to Timothy. Follow this 
pattern. Just the fact that it's called a pattern tells us that. Notice also that the pattern is sound. The pattern is sound. In calling Timothy to stick close to this pattern, he's more specific about what he means. He describes the pattern as being made up of sound words. This Greek word for sound is where we derive our English word for hygiene. Which means for us that it's clean and free from disease. We might even substitute the word healthy here. We might wonder why anyone would want words that are not sound, that are not healthy, but that shouldn't surprise us. Paul speaks about this later in his letter. In chapter 4, in verses 3 and 4, he says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound, healthy, clean, free from disease and impurities. They won't endure that kind of teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And Paul has set before Timothy solid, healthy teaching. And so Timothy is to make sure that this is what he sets before his church as he teaches, as he guides it. That was Paul's practice. Always to give them the whole counsel of God. And now he must continue to faithfully allow this pattern himself, to follow this pattern himself. Timothy teaches others. The pattern is sound. We can't divert from this pattern. When we do that, we introduce impurities and unhealthy doctrine into our churches and into our homes. I remember receiving a telephone call from a friend from our church who said, can you please call? There's a situation going on and uh, I'm concerned. And what it was is, it was, a, it was a couple, and they were on the verge of getting a divorce. I didn't know them. But they had been going to a solid, healthy, Bible-teaching church. And in the midst of that, this wife started listening to a local woman who was supposedly a prophetess. And this woman was telling her all kinds of things. And she was eating it up. And as she started eating it up, she started pulling herself away more and more from her Bible teaching church. The husband knew this was happening, but he was a passive man and didn't get himself involved. Now he's desperately telling me on the phone that he hasn't been to church in a long time. And I said, why not? He said, because my wife said that this woman told him that God doesn't want them in that church. I said, well, what does she say when you tell her from the Bible? She says the Holy Spirit has told her that she doesn't need to listen to her husband. See, they started introducing false doctrine in small form back there. It had gone so far that now she was pulling this Holy Spirit trump card every single time she didn't want to do something. That the Holy Spirit was telling her, because now she had the gift of prophecy, that she didn't have to listen to her husband, she didn't have to go to church, she didn't have to listen to the Bible. You see, this is what happens when we introduce little impurities over time. And I told him, you should have stepped up and manned up a long time ago. I don't know that there's anything to do. You need to be on your knees praying and begging God that He forgives you for your passivity and unwillingness to lead your own family. And then, maybe God will convict this woman and you need to pray that God would remove this other woman that's been influencing her. Pattern sound, we can't divert from it. We need to be careful that we don't do that. Notice also about this pattern that it's doctrinal. This sound teaching is doctrine. There are sound words. Logon is the word that's it's a plural form of logos, literally words. But in this context, it encompasses more than just the gospel, but the fullness of all the doctrines that Paul has set before the church as he taught and he preached. Paul says that these words, all encompassing the faith that was delivered to us, Timothy has heard from the Apostle Paul himself. This is probably a reference to this apostolic authority. Of course, nothing that we have today. 
There are no modern-day apostles today, although there are plenty of people claiming to be modern-day apostles. So how do we continue in the pattern if there are no longer any apostles walking the earth anymore? Well, how would Timothy do it himself? He was not an apostle. He was not a prophet. Well, he did it by teaching the apostles' teaching, which is the Bible. We follow the sound doctrine by teaching the Word of God. When, when a person should be teaching the Bible, instead of doing that, they tell stories and, and jokes and self-help pop psychology, feel-good devotional type sermons. They're not following Paul's pattern. They're, be, they're becoming creative. And, and they may be very, very popular, but they've diver, diverted from the practice of Jesus in the early church. And don't be fooled because they might have a big church building. And that pastor might have a big, nice house and a really large following. He might have lots of followers on YouTube and his own website. And he might have all kinds of things on social media. And you might wonder, how is it that God blesses that, but he doesn't bless a little church? Because we don't count nickels and noses to know when there's faithfulness involved. If you follow the pattern, you're faithful. The number of noses and nickels in the church is not an indicator of faithfulness. It's the closeness to the pattern. No teacher that departs from this pattern is faithful, according to this passage. So I don't care about preachers and sneakers and sports cars and big churches and lots of programs and lots of popularity and TV programs and the number of baptisms that they've had over the year, if they're not doing what God says, then that's not God's blessing. That's not God's blessing. That is a delusion from the pit of hell to lead us astray, to follow a false teacher. Be aware of that. And notice also in verse 13 is this pattern includes attitudes. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Notice that even though content is extremely important, it's very important, it's not everything. This pattern needs to be followed in form and substance and in attitude. The faithful ministry of God's people must include faith and love that Paul says are found in Jesus Christ alone. If we have our words, His words on our lips, we need to make sure that we have His faith in our hearts that are inflamed with His love. We can't forget that 1 Corinthians 13 begins with a denunciation of those who preach without love. 1 Corinthians 13 is a sandwich. There's a chapter before and a chapter after, and it's dealing with the hyper-spiritual attitude of the church in Corinth. Specifically dealing about their use of spiritual gifts. And sandwiched in the middle, Paul points out the, most, the more excellent way than having all these lofty gifts that they imagine they have and had and didn't really have. And he says, if you could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but you don't have love, you're nothing. You're like a, a clanging gong. Can you imagine going into the kitchen, grabbing a couple pots? That, that's what our friends used to do on New Year's Eve. That was their Christian fireworks where you couldn't light them in L.A. So they'd go out there in the front yard at midnight and they'd get these pans, bang, 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 bang. That's what you are when you speak the words of God and don't have love. You're clanging cymbals. You're annoying. You're destructive. And Paul says, follow the pattern. The pattern is the teaching, but it includes the attitude of the heart. Those that don't have love are painful to the ear and destructive to the faith. James also warns that the tongues of fire, a fire that can potentially destroy, and that a believer's mouth should not be the source of both blessing and cursing. And by the way, that is in a section that begins by addressing teachers. 
together, these and other passages remind us that for those that teach the Bible, character matters. If you point to a godly, faithful pastor who has remained faithful for a long time, I guarantee you their character matches what they teach. If you point to the one, the, the, these, these people that keep flaming out all around us, they're like the story of Icarus who, who flew on these wings that were partly made out of wax and he got too close to the sun and his wings started to melt and he came down in a flame and fire. That's what many of these superstar Christians are. And they have no character to match it. And they get up there because they're really popular and they itch the right ear and they, they draw the people in and, and they write the right books and they have the right conferences, but they have no Christian character and they burn and they come down in flames. That should be a lesson to all of us. Don't just teach the right things, but live to the glory of God. We don't want to discredit our God. Not everybody that comes down in flames is a false teacher. Many of them are great teachers. But they have let their lives lapse into sin. And now everybody points to them and says, that's what you are like, aren't you? They're Christians. They believe what you believe. And bring shame to the name of Christ and to His church. If Paul is teaching all this, he's concerned with the reality that the gospel message needs to be passed on from one person to another. Paul himself has faithfully passed it on to many men, including Timothy. And now Timothy must not only handle it accurately, he must make sure that he faithfully passes it on to others who will do the same in faithfully handling this message of our faith. The Bible commentary John Kitchen wrote, If the truth is to live on from generation to generation, orthodoxy must always define itself, reproduce itself, and examine itself. This message that we have in the Word of God is a precious treasure. And this treasure is in danger of being corrupted and distorted. We receive it in purity. And you have to pass it on that way as well. We have to retain the orthodoxy of the Word of God and never depart from it. But Paul also stressed that to Timothy's ministry because it has to come with the fact that characterizes by faith and love, it's characterized in this love of Jesus. It means that orthodoxy is not enough. John MacArthur, who's had a faithful ministry of over 50 years, has written this. He said, when we defend God's Word in a self-righteous, unloving spirit, the resulting controversy and opposition are not caused wholly by the offense of the truth itself, but also by the offensive and unspiritual way in which we proclaim it. We are to defend God's Word in the faith. That is, with the right attitude of confidence toward God. And we're to defend it in love with the right attitude of kindness and compassion toward unbelievers and toward poorly taught and immature believers. In other words, if the Scriptures itself offends, so be it. If you don't like what God says, take it up with God. But if you don't like what I say because I say it and I'm a jerk and, and I'm cruel and I'm unkind and I, I, I'm not... I'm not living it myself and I'm a hypocrite. Then that's my fault. And may we not bear that kind of a stigma in the world as we preach Christ. We can't bend in the fact that the Scriptures will offend. But we need to make sure that we are not the offense. That it is only the cross that offends. So, the responsibilities of the man of God are simple. First, follow the pattern. Don't mess it up. Secondly, guard the treasure. It's simple. You can memorize this whole sermon. Follow the pattern. Guard the treasure. Guard the treasure. Notice in verse 14, Paul writes, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 
holding fast to the pattern is that first important aspect of the ministry of the man of God, but there's more. Guard the good deposit. Guard the treasure. In verse 12, Paul refers to guarding what was entrusted to Timothy, which is in this context Paul's life and ministry. Paul knows that God has taken his life and guarded it for safekeeping. But here in verse 14, it's something different. Paul is now speaking of the gospel message, the message that he received from the Lord as he passed it on to Timothy. This is the treasure. It's the center of what he's writing about in this verse. As a matter of fact, in the Greek Bible, it's placed at the beginning of the sentence to make it stand out with emphasis. It's like a treasure that's been placed in a bank. Paul is instructing Timothy about it. And then he tells him, here's how you're to carry out this duty, to guard it. I want you to notice a few things. First, notice that the treasure, obviously, the treasure is precious. The treasure is precious. The literal translation is the good deposit. The the Greek word is kalos. It's the word for good referring to its value, to the truthfulness of this message. It's precious. It truly is a treasure. You know, the things that we value, the things that we find to have great worth, we guard. We guard against them being lost or damaged or stolen or destroyed and counterfeited. It's because we know that they have value. Those things that are invaluable, we don't bother guarding. We don't bother. You know, I've never found one of those portajons locked so that you don't steal the contents. Take it away. Please. We actually have to pay for them to do that, right? The contents of a portable toilet is not guarded against theft. And have you ever noticed? Nobody counterfeits pennies. It's not worth it. It's too much work for nothing in value. But Paul says much about the assault against the truth of the gospel. The assault, it comes in the forms of devaluing it, changing it, diluting it, silencing it, all kinds of things. Let me quickly run through them. Just in Paul's two letters to Timothy, listen to what he says. I'm not going to read the passages. I'm just going to remind you of what he says. In 1 Timothy 4, 1-3, Paul writes where he shows that the source of these false teachings, where they come from, and how they subtly teach a false hope in things other than Christ. They're counterfeits. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, Paul shows the danger of the lies that spread, like gangrene. In chapter, in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, in verses 13 and 14, Paul writes where he shows the spread of these lies and the need to continue in the pattern given. In chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he shows the way people will flock to these false gospels and their false teachers. In chapter 4, verse 15, he shows that these false teachers will also at times actively oppose the true message. That should show you something. If all these efforts are being made to change and to value and to counterfeit and to to speak against this message, that it has value. If it had no value, Satan would leave it alone. But he's constantly trying to attack it. And these are just a few examples. They show the aggressiveness of false doctrine and false teachers. The war is real. And the battle is raging all around us today. And so Paul is telling Timothy, you need to be on guard in protecting this precious treasure. I remember several years ago, the newspaper had, as a pastor, it caught my attention because the newspaper had a story where several churches in our area were being broken into. We were in a very um, poor, very um, uh, undesirable part of town. Uh, A lot of crime that went on in town. But these, these churches were being broken into in very wealthy beach communities, not far from us. So if you can break into a church in a wealthy community, surely they would break into our church. 
And so it caught my eye. And the story said that when these criminals broke into the church, that they were stealing sound systems, video projection systems, and instruments. A lot of valuable stuff there. But what struck me is that in some of these churches, the thieves gain entry into unlocked windows and doors. You know, it's really bad when I've heard of some thieves cutting holes in ceilings and dropping in to get, you know, if they want to get in bad enough, they will get in. But it's even worse when you don't lock your own doors and the thief just walks right in. And that happens in the church with doctrine. Is that people don't guard this incredible blessing of treasure we have. They just let false teachers walk right in and begin to steal the truth right from under them. Notice this. The treasure is precious, but also notice the treasure is entrusted. There's guardians. It's been entrusted to you, Paul says. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit, Paul says, entrusted to you, Timothy, to the minister of God. Just as Paul was given this treasure from Christ, he passes it on through his ministry to the churches wherever he went. The Apostle Paul was sort of like a Bible Johnny Appleseed. Everywhere he went, he was throwing out gospel seeds. And in many places, gospel seeds were planted and began to grow, and they grew into these apple trees that produced apples that bore more seeds so that people could take them and plant seeds elsewhere. That's the gospel. It's a picture of the Apostle Paul. Now, if Paul had stayed in Jerusalem, if the church was in a single location, it would have been very easy to guard the trust. It's super easy to leave it there. Build a fence around that one tree. Only allow certain people to come in and look at the tree and its apples. But that's not the nature of the gospel. The nature of the gospel is the message has to be taken out. And the problem is that it's harder and harder when you take this treasure and spread it all over the world to guard the gospel message. But we have to do it and we have to be vigilant. Jesus entrusted it to his apostles and they entrusted it to faithful men who would entrust it to faithful men and so on. And every single step of the way, there is a need for all of us to be vigilant. All of you are hounds of heaven. All of you are guards for the gospel. It should be that no false teacher can walk into this building and your radar doesn't go up as soon as they start doing their thing. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I've never seen a false teacher walk in with a shirt that says false teacher. Not once. So, notice three encouragements about this trust. You see them in verse 14. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Notice this trust is entrusted to, this treasure is entrusted to Christians. This message is given to Timothy, and Timothy is to take that message and give it to others. Paul received it from Christ. Paul gave it to Timothy and, and Titus and others. And it made it all the way down to you and me. Isn't that amazing? Hillsdale, Oklahoma. There is a connection all the way back to Israel, spiritually. I want you to think about that. You're in chapter 1. Go to chapter 2. Look at verse 2. Verse 1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's exciting, but it's also sobering. You see multiple generations there. I received it. I gave it to you. You give it to others who will give it to others. We don't want to be the one who messes it up. Sometimes we think that the church won't die. The church ultimately, universally will not die. 
They will not die. The gates of hell cannot prevail against this church. But that does not mean the gospel cannot die in Hillsdale, Oklahoma. The Reformation teaches us that there was darkness. They're called the Dark Ages for a reason. And then the motto comes, post-Tenebras Lux, after darkness, light. But I'm fearful if we do not stand guard and guard this message, we will have the motto, post-Lux Tenebras, after light, darkness. We don't want to be the ones that drop the torch. Guard it, brothers and sisters. Paul references this awesome responsibility in 2 Corinthians 4.7. He says, well, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. That we that Paul was speaking about in this verse refers to all Christians. He calls us jars of clay, earthen vessels. You know, some people have fine china some have Tupperware. And some have old Cool Whip containers. That's the free Tupperware. The earthen vessels were cheap. They were easily chipped, easily cracked. They were definitely not flashy. They weren't expensive like gold or silver vessels. And God likens us to this. We are brittle. Sometimes we're a little worn out. The value isn't in the container itself. It's in the treasure within the container. So I don't care about being a Cool Whip jar as long as the stuff inside doesn't get messed up. That's the treasure. We have the treasure of God's Word given to us so that we might testify to the world, as it says in 2 Corinthians 4.6, the glory of God in the face of Christ. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We have experienced firsthand the good hand of God and His redeeming mercy. We're not pizza delivery boys who are hungry and we can't afford a slice. We are well fed on the manna of Christ. And we are taking this message that we have to others who are starving. We've been entrusted with this message, which is a treasure. So let's not mess it up. Go back to verse 14 of 2 Timothy 1. Because this treasure that's been entrusted to us, we need to know that we are indwelt. That's what he says in verse 14. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That's, that's important. We can't skip that. We are called to do this seemingly impossible task of guarding the treasure in jars of clay against wolves, which is terrifying. We are sheep or cheap, a bag of sheep, a flock, but we're sent out in the midst of a world filled with wolves. And if we were alone, we would be slaughtered. But we're not alone. We are carrying a treasure. But we're not alone. Timid Timothy had to have been encouraged by that reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Not the external Spirit, the Spirit out there, but the Spirit right here. The internal indwelling Spirit of the living God is within every one of us that are believers in Christ. Jesus said in John 14, verses 16 and 17, And I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now He says this pre-Pentecost. Post-Pentecost, He is in all of us. The Spirit that once would live in a tabernacle and come out when Moses came, move from heaven to the tabernacle, the tabernacle to a temple, the temple to us. In Romans 8 9, we're assured with these words, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, 
If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. All of us. You don't need some kind of second blessing. Every single Christian, at the moment they come to Christ, receives the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we're sent out like Timothy to guard the treasure of the gospel message against all the enemies that hell's fury can stir up. But we don't do it alone. We have the heavenly helper, the spirit of truth, the spirit of the living God who goes with us and before us. And he doesn't just accompany us. He does more. Notice what else it says in verse 14. This treasure is entrusted to Christians who are indwelt but who are also empowered by the Holy Spirit who, in, who dwells within us, guard the good treasure entrusted to you. Now, it's not stated overtly there, but it is the main reason why Paul writes of the Spirit here. He wants Timothy to know the Spirit is with you, He's in you, and you know that He empowers you. Do you remember what Jesus' words were in Acts 1.8 as he encouraged his disciples in their task so they could accomplish it because the Spirit is with us? I mean, these were small town boys. Most of them had not traveled very far at all. Some of them, and Jesus came along and pulled them out of Galilee, had never left Galilee. They were identified by their, their country drawl when they're standing there in the courtyard of the high priest. And he says, I know you're a Galilean. I could tell. could tell by their clothes. could tell by their, their accents. You're a country boy. And that's when Peter got all flustered and starts denying Jesus. It would have been shocking to hear Jesus' words before he ascended into heaven in the clouds. To hear him say that they would have to go from there to the capital, Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and the end of the world. I mean, there's no, there's no cars. There's no trains. There's no planes. There's no internet. I mean, they have a really small radius where they've traveled mostly by foot. And Jesus is telling them, take this message and go conquer the world with it. The world? I mean, they're trying to figure out how they can get to their county. And that can be overwhelming. But he starts that not with, you're my witnesses, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. He starts his words with this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. He starts with the encouraging words that we need to keep before us, is that God sends us in His Spirit's power. Part of being an effective witness is to testify to the truth in the face of lies and deception. And the truth of the Word combined with the power of the Spirit is a form of evangelical boldness that the church has not tapped into the way it needs to. But we're going to have to pretty soon. You're going to have to be incredibly strong when some man dressed like a woman starts teaching a class in a school, in a university, and they want you to identify them by their selected pronouns. But that's a man. I don't care if she's wearing, he's wearing high heels. That's a man. And you're going to be shouted down. You're going to be thrown around. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be called outdated and worse. You're going to be bigots. You're going to be hateful. But you have the truth and you have the Spirit. And you can go forward into this world. And you can just speak the truth. Listen to what Paul wrote to the false teachers in Corinth as they were enamored with these kinds of teachers. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. That was their claim. I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some, of, some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. 
For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul said, we're fully loaded to take down the lies of this world. The gospel is sufficient. For, for centuries, faithful men and women have stood guard over the gospel and the doctrines of our faith. And many of them have paid through trials and persecutions and even their own lives. They could have compromised. They could have made excuses. But they didn't. They stood firm. Paul stood as an example to Timothy. And he's an example to us as well. Because all the way from the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Satan has opposed the Word of God and he has bombarded God's children with doubts. And the church has faced attack after attack upon the Word of God and the doctrine that it contains. But it still stands to this day. How is that possible? It's possible because the Lord God has set His church as the guardians of His Word. And He's placed within us His empowering Holy Spirit. This place is the, the pillar and buttress of the truth. We are the last citadel in this world standing with the truth. We are the only ones that are willing to speak the truth in a world gone mad. Don't let that go. Guard it. We are indwelt by His power. We can do this. Along with Timmy, Timothy, we're to follow the same pattern. We're to guard the same treasure the Lord has deposited for safekeeping with us. We can do it in several ways. I want to leave you with a few. You can put these into practice right away. Pray for the church first. Pray for the church. Pray for it not just here. Pray for it here, but all over the world. Pray that we would maintain the faithful testimony of the Word and not compromise in any way. Pray for pastors, secondly. Pray for pastors and elders and teachers in the church. Pray they would depend upon the pattern given in the Word of God and those that have deviated, that the Lord would convict them. They would repent and return to the standard. Pray for the leaders. Third, proclaim the Gospel. The best way to overcome the false is to declare the truth. Preach the gospel. And fourth, expose the lies. Now, we need to do this in a Christ-like spirit, but it has to be done. Pray and then expose those that are teaching false doctrine. Don't be afraid. The Spirit's within you and the Spirit empowers you. Make sure that you carry on the faithful pattern and guard the trust. You have been well fed in this church. Make sure you don't take that for granted. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word that You have entrusted to us. Thank You for giving us all that we need for life and godliness. Help us now, Lord God. With this truth, there is responsibility. We do pray, Lord God, that you would help us to maintain the standard that you have given to us. We thank you for Jesus, because without him, none of this would be possible. But now that he has saved us, you have inducted us into your army. May we not forget there is a bitter war raging right now. Help us, Lord God. Help us to stand firm in the faith to gird up our loins, to be prepared to fight. The darkness is growing around us every day. We see it, Lord God. May we not just shout into the darkness, but may we bring the sword of the Spirit and the light of Your Word to the people that are chained up and locked in this kingdom of darkness, snatching them out of the fire so that they might be brought into Your kingdom of light and the truth of our Savior Jesus.
in his name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.